0: Our first reading today comes from Genesis chapter 19, verses 12 to 26. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against his people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-laws, who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, Hurry, and get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-laws thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they... Had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back, and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains, or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me, and I'll die. Look, here is a town near enough to run to, and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to him, Very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly, because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zor. By the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down sulphur, burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah, from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Our second reading is 1 Kings chapter 19, 19 to 21. So Elijah went out from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was ploughing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah responded. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the ploughing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Our final reading today is from Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you will go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Here ends the readings.
1: Uh, Good morning, everybody. On this Mother's Day two thousand and twenty. Uh, if it's not good morning, let me say good afternoon or good evening to you on what is Mother's Day and it's also my last sermon here which brings some uh, great sadness to me and I want to say thank you guys for all the support and uh, and uh, wonderful joy you've brought me in the privilege of serving here and being a caretaker um, for this brief seven months. Seven months does sound longer than you think it is until you live that seven months and it's flown in a heartbeat. So I want to start this message today with this uh, great uh, reflection in my own heart that brings much joy to me. Thank you for your uh, presence, for your encouragement. Thank you uh, for your cooperation and thank you for the blessing of hearing your heartbeats and learning how your faith thinks and how your faith works. So I can say it's an absolute pleasure to have been here for the last seven months and I can also say that uh, I wish Rick the very best because he now has the opportunity to work and hear your heartbeats and to work with you and love you and also enjoy your presence with him. So let's bow our heads and we'll begin this uh, sermon, which is the last. Thank you. Almighty Father, it's with thanks I come before you now. <clears throat> uh, it's with a great gratitude and joy. That I can reflect on the last seven months. And I pray now, Lord, as this is the last message I bring, this message too will bring pleasure and joy and great strength in faith, Lord, that your words will work in our life and they'll never stop working, Father, because they are your echo into eternity. I ask this now in the precious name of Jesus. Jesus. Amen. So, guys, it's Mother's Day. And normally on Mother's Day you would have a sermon about mothers. But not today. Not today at all. Because today's the last day and I wanted to try to lead a message that was uh, longer and uh, wider than a message for mothers. So sorry mothers if you felt short-changed. It is to deal deliberate but it's not to slight you. It's to enhance uh, who we can work with today. So what I want to do is look at hanging in there in faith, no turning back. That's been the theme of the last set of devotions I've organised, no turning back, and it's a theme I want to finish on, that we all finish strong and that we all finish together and uh, meet again uh, when the Lord returns. Now, what I want to do today is begin the story of three Christian megastars. One's called Billy Graham, whose name you'll know. One's called Bron Clifford. And the third one's called Chuck Templeton. Now, the last two, it's likely that you haven't heard of. I hadn't heard of them either until I read a book on them. Now, but we've all heard of Billy Graham. So, two of these megastars obviously didn't survive, which is why we're speaking about them today. But Billy Graham did. Now, how did that happen? I want to read you this brief story from a book that I've uh, treasured for a long time called Finishing Strong. It's a book for men. It's a book for guys who want to finish strong in a Christian life. It really targets problems that men have. I've had this book about 20 years, maybe 25 years, and its relevance is as much now as it was in the 90s when I first picked it up. So let me read you the story of three megastars. You've heard of Billy Graham, but what about Chuck Templeton or Bron Clifford? Have you heard of them? Billy Graham wasn't the only young preacher packing auditoriums in 1945. Chuck Templeton and Bron Clifford were accomplishing the same thing and more. All three young men were in their mid-twenties. One seminar, one seminary president, president after hearing Chuck Templeton preach one evening to an audience of thousands, called him the most gifted and talented young man in America today for preaching. Templeton and Graham were friends. Both ministered for Youth for Christ. Both were extraordinary preachers. Yet in those early years, most observers would probably have put money on Templeton. As a matter of fact, in 1946, the National Association of Evangelicals published an article on men who were best used of God in that organisation's five-year existence. The article highlighted the ministry of Chuck Templeton. Billy Graham was never mentioned. Templeton, many felt, would be the next Babe Ruth of evangelism. This is obviously American and Babe Ruth, I believe, was some um, megastar baseball player. Now, can I tell a little anecdote too that's true at this point? That Billy Graham's wife... Ruth wasn't the first lady he proposed to. There was a lady he proposed to in the 1930s when he was first at college and he was going out with. Now, Billy Graham's first um, first proposal to marriage was met with this response. No, I couldn't marry you because you're never going to amount to anything. Now, Ruth Graham was a beneficiary of her uh, pride and her misjudgments. So please don't worry if you're a person that doesn't appear to have the approval of others. If you're a person that isn't the stars that the world picks because Billy Graham went on to be the most famous evangelist maybe of all time. So be encouraged and even then back in 1946 Billy Graham wasn't seen to be the best of these three but just one of these three. So Bron Clifford was yet another gifted 25-year-old fireball in 1945 many believed Clifford the most powerful and gifted preacher in the church in that same year Clifford preached to an auditorium of thousands in Miami and people lined up 10 and 12 deep outside excuse me people lined up 10 and 12 deep outside the auditorium trying to get in later that same year when Clifford was preaching in the chapel at Baylor university the president ordered class bells turned off so the young man could minister without interruption to the student body. For two hours and fifteen minutes, Bron Clifford kept these students on edge as he preached the gospel of Christ. Now, at the young age of 25, Clifford touched more lives, influenced more leaders and set more attendance records than any other clergyman his age in American history. National leaders vied for his attention, He was tall, handsome, intelligent and eloquent. Hollywood invited him to audition for a a part in the movie The The Robe. It seemed as if he had everything. Graham, Templeton and Clifford. In 1945, all three came shooting out of the starting blocks like rockets. You've heard of Billy Graham, so how come you've never heard of Chuck Templeton or Bron Clifford? Especially when they came out of the shoot stronger in 1945 than Billy Graham. Just five years later, Templeton left the ministry to pursue a career as a radio and television commentator and newspaper columnist. Templeton had decided he was no longer a believer in Christ in the orthodox sense of the term. By 1950, this future Babe Ruth wasn't even in the game and no longer believed in the validity of the claims of Jesus Christ. He'd fallen. What about Clifford? Well, by 1954, Clifford had lost his family, his ministry, his health and then his life. Alcohol and financial irresponsibility had done him in. He wound up leaving his wife and their two Down syndrome children. This story gets sadder, doesn't it? At just 35 years of age, this once great preacher died from cirrhosis of the liver in a run-down motel on the edge of Amarillo. His last job was selling used cars in the panhandle of Texas. He died, and as John Haggai put it, unwept, unhonoured and unsung. Some pastors in Amarillo took up a collection among themselves in order to purchase a casket so that his body could be shipped back to the east for a decent burial in a cemetery for the poor. So in 1945, three young men with extraordinary gifts were preaching the gospel to multiplied thousands across this nation. Within ten years, only one of them was still on track. In the Christian life, it is not how you start that matters, it is how you finish. In the Christian life, it's not how you start that matters, it's how you finish. Which is why I want to bring this message to us today. We have travelled from Genesis to Revelation, Eden to Gethsemane. We have travelled from Babylon to Jerusalem and Tree of Knowledge to the Tree of Life. That's been over the last seven months. But today we can only travel forward. There is no turning back. We are looking forward, aren't we, as Christians, to paradise. We're looking forward to a place where the streets are paved with gold. Now that could mean that the streets are paved with um, that which is very expensive, it could mean that gold is so unimportant in heaven that it's used as bitumen is on earth. Either way, we are looking for a place of paradise where the streets are paved with gold, we receive the crown of life and that we look forward to this unseen unseen city, a forever city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And as Moses did, we persevere because we too have seen him who is invisible. Now, Moses literally saw him who is invisible. But we have seen him who is invisible through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is why we continue. Now this endurance does not require great speed, but rather great grit and determination to breast the finish line in faith. For it is he who stands strong unto the end who will be saved. God is looking for finishers. He only found one out of those three evangelists, didn't he? Now it is a cry, uh, the cry of the hour, cry of this hour uh, in my heart, is now devote your heart and soul to seeking the Lord your God. That's 1 Chronicles 22.19. Now devote your heart and soul to seeking the Lord your God. Now, Bron Clifford and Templeton can't have done that because they fell. They left the, the, their faith behind. So today what I want to do is briefly look at three biblical people Now, the first one I want to look at is Lot's wife. Lot's wife uh, was escaping from Sodom and looked back. Now, I didn't choose the whole passage here on Lot's wife because it's too contentious over the homosexual issue. I didn't want to discuss the nature of the whole passage. I just wanted to discuss Lot's wife's reaction. Now, interestingly, I found while I was researching this, that in Jewish tradition, her name is Edith. It's not recorded in the Bible, but it is recorded in tradition. So Edith, if she was, chanced a glance over her shoulder when Sodom, which is still a metaphor for sin, was to be put behind her back. She lamented her loss. She identified with Sodom. There she is, escaping a city known for its immorality and its wickedness, a city that not even could find a ten righteous men or women that it would not be de- that it would not be destroyed. So as they're getting their heads up to get out, and they were told not to turn back by the angel, what happens? She turns back. So she's looking back with a lament upon a place of sin. Now the problem with looking back with lament is when the past is held onto, the future crumbles. Isn't that exactly what happened to her? She turned into a pillar of salt. And I've got in my imagination what a pillar of salt looks like. It's not a pillar for very long. It would instantly collapse. So the future has collapsed when the past is held on to. Lot's wife unwittingly demonstrated the past is not to be recaptured when fleeing the place of sin. Those who look back lose what they are going to gain and impact terribly those who love them and travel with them. Lot and his other two that were escaping no longer had their mum with them. In gazing back, the second state becomes far worse than the first. And that's the nature of Christianity. We go forward, we don't go backwards. And if we go backwards, the second state is likely to become worse than the first. See, she did not choose for long obedience in the same direction as her family. She did not choose in long obedience. Do not dwell on the past and especially the pleasantness or shame of sin. If I'm dwelling on the past and the pleasantness of sin, I haven't put the past behind me. And if I'm dwelling on the past and especially the shame of sin, I'm being accused by the evil one and he wants to bring harm to my soul. So if that's happening, can I remind you, next time Satan reminds you of your past, remind Satan of his future. Let me repeat that. Next time Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Now, Elisha in 1 Kings 2 is somebody that was called of the Lord. Let me read three verses to you. So Elijah is about to uh, lose his mantle, lose his commission from the Lord, and God tells him to go and find Elisha and pass his mantle onto him. And there are three verses I want to read now. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was ploughing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Now, this means Elisha wasn't coming from a poor family because oxen were valuable in those days and there were 12 12 yokes of oxen. Now, he was driving the 12th pair, so he wasn't from a poor family. Elijah went up to him and threw the cloak around him. So Elisha walks up to a man that doesn't know him, throws the cloak across his shoulder and he now wears Elijah's mantle. Elisha then left his oxen. Sorry, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. And he said, Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. He said, And then I will come with you. Now Elijah gives a curious response I can't make sense of. Elijah says, Go back. What have I done to you? So, regardless of What's hard to understand there? Elisha leaves Elijah and goes home. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the ploughing equipment to cook. He burned the ploughing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah, and he became his attendant. What Elijah was doing was passing on the prophetic anointment, anointing uh, to Elisha. Now you can't pass on what you don't keep and this is especially for our children. If I'm going to keep the anointing of the Holy Spirit if I'm going to keep the anointing of uh, of my faith to pass on, my children can receive it. But if I don't keep it, I'm robbing my family of me and the benefit that could well come. Now burning his ploughing tools was commitment from Elisha. His past is behind him his options of flight are gone, he can't learn his income anymore that way and he has to make the future work. That's what Jesus did in Gethsemane. He, he took a stand where his past was behind him and he took no options of flight. He was going to go to the cross. Now, that's the commitment of Jesus' disciples. Sorry, that was the commitment Jesus' disciples also gave. Now, opposite Lot's wife is Elisha. Elisha went forward on his call. He didn't turn back and lament the past. Now, Elisha did not turn back to sin, but he turned back to his family. And this was in due order. Now the third person I'd like to look at, which would be fairly obvious, is Jesus in Luke nine fifty seven. This is Jesus telling us to count the cost of reaching paradise. If you've got your Bibles there, you might like to open them to Luke 9. Jesus said, Luke writes, As they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever I go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. The Son of Man is not promising wealth, the promise, the Son of Man is not even promising comfort. For if he is the one that has no place to lay his head, that's also what his followers can expect. Jesus said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now count the cost to reach paradise. You have to put things behind your back. Most people have an excuse for delaying or ignoring Jesus. The final man in this story wanted to go back and say goodbye to his family. I can't follow you immediately. Now, can you sense something different here between Elisha and what Jesus does, or Jesus teaches? Elisha went back to his family and burned his ploughing equipment. This this man, Jesus says, don't even go back to your family. Don't make excuses. I think Jesus is actually up the ante and between the Old Testament and New Testament on what he demands, what he commands, what is obedience to him. Now, let me draw a parallel. In the Old Testament, we are taught to love our neighbours as ourselves. But that's not what Jesus teaches in the New Testament. He teaches to love our neighbours as he loved us. He's up the ante now. It's not just loving our neighbours as ourselves. It's loving him as he loved us, which is dying for them. So I think Jesus has done the same here, saying that even the family come before me. Don't go back to your family, don't give me excuses. Elisha did not sin, he went to his family, but now Jesus is up the ante. Now, most people have an excuse for delaying Jesus, but Jesus is not a compromiser. Excuses don't work. Cast your imagination now ahead of you. So what will it be like when we meet at the pearly gates? Now, two of my heroes, and the youth leaders know these heroes because I've been speaking about them. Tozer and Ravenhill are having a conversation. So you can guess it's going to be a powerful conversation. And Leonard Ravenhill speaks to Tozer saying, that final day is going to be awesome, the day we meet Jesus. And he goes on and he says, Have you figured out how you'll get on when you stand there? You and I will stand there alone on that day and be judged for every aspect of our lives. No, judged but not condemned. For our praying, for our giving, for our talking and for our doing. He goes on and says, I still believe in the majesty of that eternal court, the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the judge of judges. Now this is the very fascinating thing that Leonard Ravenhill brings out. You see, there is no possibility of any reversal. There's only one shot at this life. And what's more, there is no possibility of any repetition. There's no second chance at the greater size. There's only one. No possibility of another alternative. Because, again, this is the final judgment, and to some God will say, come ye blessed, and to others he will say, depart from me. No, it's not so simple to be a Christian after all. It's a majestic thing. I've taught you that, I've tried to teach you that, and I don't doubt that you know that you already knew it. But being a Christian is going to be a hard thing and it's going to get harder. But the call is just to make the long haul and not just the short haul. We ought to live our lives conscious of eternity, ready to be cut off at any moment. Martin Luther had two days on his calendar, today and that day. That's the day that we live for, that day. If you were to stand before the Lord at this very moment, Ravenhill continues, would you like your life story read by all the the millions in eternity? None of the outcasts of hell are going to be there? Won't it be wonderful? Or will it? Or do you think you might shrink a bit when you hear how God used Missionaries like David Bra- Brainerd or John Wesley, or some little washerwoman that had a life of intercession that nobody ever heard of. Now, I'd like to make a little point, a little bit off to the side at the moment. I think it was 1997, and uh, Princess Di had the car accident. Now, if my memory serves me correctly, which can be a debate, uh, one week after Mother Teresa, one week after Princess Di died, Mother Teresa died. Now, But the news, the papers, the media was full of Princess Di's death and Mother Teresa's death hardly raised a headline. Now, I wonder if God did that because Mother Teresa would have gained a lot of glory on earth if she had have died without the competitor of Princess Di for the headlines. I think what God did was Mother Teresa was like that little washerwoman who held a life of intercession. She was unseen at death and she's seen in heaven. God does things that way, doesn't he? <coughs> Excuse me. We need to become a people who are baptised with a loving obedience. We need to be submissive to the total will of God, not concerned about human opinion and not asking for more to spend on ourselves. Live for an audience of one. We need to say, oh God, I want this life of mine to glorify you so that when I stand in your awesome presence, as John says, I shall not be ashamed at your appearing. I shall not be ashamed at your appearing. Now, these are my final words to you and it's from the Bible. Please, my friends, from the bottom of my heart, So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. My friends, I fully believe, absolutely fully believe, without a doubt, no shaking inside, this is true. The destination is worth the difficulty of the journey. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Lord, that you've gone before us. You are our pioneer and you are our perfecter. O Lord, may we walk as Billy Graham walked, walk as Ravenhill and Toza walked, walk as Elisha walked. May we see you in glory. Amen.